Genesis chapter 27. We currently have been seeing the development of the lives of Jacob and Esau, and we come to a very unique position in all of the Scripture. Genesis 27 verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Now, uh, the indication here that he was old and the fact that he's about to bestow his blessing and birthright upon his sons is an indication that he's thinking that he's near the end of his life. Uh, that may have been due to his diminished eyesight at this point, and he just gets that sense of he's getting very old. And, uh, you know, Martin Luther calculates Isaac's age to be 137 at this point. Uh, he lived to be 180 years old, so he's got 43 more years to live at this point. And that kind of ties into what we have going on, because his reaction to his circumstances might not have been appropriate to try and give the birthright to his son uh, this early on. So that kind of is a little backstory to what we have going on. His eyes have grown dim so that he could not see, and that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. And then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, uh, for any of us that are familiar with the passage and the circumstances surrounding it, uh, we know that Jacob, his younger brother, is the one who's going to receive the birthright and the blessing. So currently, what uh, Isaac is trying to do is make sure that his will is carried out rather than God's will. Think about that for just a moment. His will being carried out rather than God's will. God has already said how this is going to unfold. So recognizing that he's reaching the end of his life, he's going to try and take steps to literally overthrow God's plan in his life. As foolish as that sounds, that's what he's about to embark upon. And we'll see as we move forward that it's not the taste of the food, right? He, he makes this great claim about, you know, you need to go hunting and you need to prepare the food the way I like because the way you make it is better than anybody else. When he's given the food later, he doesn't even notice the difference between the fact that his wife has prepared it versus his son preparing it. It's probably more to do with the nostalgia of his son going out and hunting. He takes pride in the fact that his son is a huntsman, and in that, there may be some sense of what he's doing in trying to give the birthright and the blessing to Esau. He, he thinks in some way more highly 
of Esau than he does Jacob. Enough to where he's willing to try and overthrow God's plan in this instance. 27.4 continues, that my soul may bless you before I die. So again, it's a strange thing that Isaac is trying to bless Esau when the Lord has already said it would be Jacob who would be blessed. If, if you've known with a certainty that this is what God has said, it's odd that he would be making this effort to try and overcome that. Now, notice as we move forward that this family does not trust one another. That's what happens when you keep secrets within a family. When, when you're, as a husband, keeping things from your wife, when children are keeping things from parents, then a distrust sets in. People aren't able to trust one another when secrets are being kept. Esau has declared already in our study that he despised the birthright and has defiled the bloodline of Israel with pagan wives. So he's already declared that he wants nothing to do with this, that he hates God's plan. So 27 verse 5 says, Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau his son. There are some who imply that she was somehow spying. That's possible, but it's also possible that she just, through happenstance, overheard the situation. What's more significant is how she immediately launches into manipulation and conjoling. That, that is much more critical to whether she was sneaking around and spying. The sneaking around and manipulating becomes much more significant as you move forward. So, she's listening. When Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So, Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. Rebecca is ready with a plan. Okay, As soon as this circumstance comes into place, there's no hesitation. She knows how quickly they need to react within all of these circumstances. Their, their time is short in order to carry out their manipulation. Now, many people in history have gone wrong by trying to fulfill God's prophecies on their own. They understand something that the Lord has said, and they try to manipulate the circumstances in order that it be a fulfillment of God's word. You have, you know, gross situations such as Jim Jones. Many of us remember Guyana and the death of all of his Followers, you know, you have David Koresh, 
you know, in the 90s who was convinced that he'd had a vision of God and led everybody in Waco, Texas to a fiery death. Uh, you have those of us ourselves who perceive God's will perhaps from his word and we set about trying to manipulate and turn the circumstances in order to see certain things fulfilled in our own lives. It's impossible to do. If God's going to fulfill something, he's going to fulfill something. If if you aren't going to have that thing fulfilled in your life, then you're not going to have it fulfilled in your life. You can't take something from God. That's an absolute impossibility. You can't force something upon God. That's an absolute impossibility. God's will is God's will. Rebecca knew her husband would not be able to tell the difference between Esau's food and her own. So she brings this occasion to pass. In verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. Remember that upon his birth, this kid came out so covered with fur that they literally named him Harry. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's, and that doesn't escape him the rest of his life. You know, his brother is saying right here, you know, I'm smooth skin. This guy is like a bear rug. You know, this, the, dad's going to notice a difference between the two of us here in the circumstance. So verse 12, perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. Seem to be a deceiver? You mean it will be obvious that you're a deceiver at this point. It will seem to him that I'm deceiving him and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. And his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. Now, listen. The nation of Israel stood before Pilate. And Pilate understood the innocence of Jesus. And Pilate is trying to release Jesus to them. He's even said, it's your custom that I would release to you one at the Passover. Who would you rather that I release this murderous, insurrectionist thief, Barabbas, or Jesus, the Prince of Life. And they call for Barabbas' release, and then they declare, let this man's blood be upon us and our children. Okay. You hear a claim like that and almost think, well, you know, that's sort of exaggeration. In less or just over 30 years, the nation of Israel would be overrun by Rome. Jerusalem would be sacked by their generals. And according to Flavius Josephus, the dead in the pitch of battle would pour out over the top of the walls like a river. Horrifying, gruesome, grisly outcome to their rebellion to God. This woman makes this statement right here. Let your curse be upon me, my son. I'll let the cat out of the bag. We get to the end of the chapter, and this is the last that she sees her son Jacob. He leaves, and she dies without ever seeing him again. We want to be very careful about having that attitude in our heart, like, I don't care what it costs me, I'm going to see this thing through to the finish. 
that can be so unthinkably painful. Sometimes we can't even imagine how bad the outcome is going to be when we're following our own will rather than God's will. If we know plainly what His will is for us to harden our heart and stiffen our neck and resist His direction can mean utter ruin in the end. Maybe we're not carrying out some earth-changing rebellion against God's birthright plan, but He's set a direction for us in our lives and we are now resisting His will. Right? Well, Stephen there preaching that brilliant sermon in the book of Acts says to the Pharisees, you stiff-necked, hard of heart, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. And their destruction comes upon them. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took a choice clothes of her older son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. This dude was seriously hairy, you know what I'm saying? She gave the savory food and the bread, which were which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. Notice that Jacob is willing to go along with the deception as long as he can be assured that they're going to succeed at it. He's not overly concerned about rebelling against God or what the outcome might be. He's more concerned in success of the deception. As believers, we should not abandon right or wrong, for the sake of what works. People often do that. They look right at the circumstance and know that it's wrong, but they see that it's accomplishing what they want, so they move ahead with it. Rebecca is manipulating Jacob and Isaac, both, at this point. Jacob's a willing participant. And it's interesting, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau do not believe the Lord and the prophecy that he has given. Did you, did you catch that? I want to say that again, and, and we need to pay attention to what the Scripture is saying. Rebecca, Jacob, and Esau, and Isaac do not believe the Lord or the prophecy that he's given. They're all manipulating the circumstance. If they believed that God was going to make the older serve the younger, then they would say, I don't have to perform this. I don't have to manipulate anybody. I don't have... go ahead and let Jacob give the blessing to Esau. It can't take root because God has said that Jacob will be the one who is blessed and Esau will serve him. The power isn't in the word of uh, Isaac making these statements. The power is in God performing His will in their circumstances. That, that's a false teaching within the church, that we can make a positive or a negative confession and thereby bring that thing about. I mean, there are examples in the Scriptures such as uh, you know the whole Bible study that's praying as Peter is in prison that he would 
you know, be released. And we think, well, yeah, that's an act of faith. And Peter got released. Well, how much did they really believe he was going to be released? Because he comes to the door and Rhoda sees that it's Peter and goes into the Bible study and says, Peter's at the door asking to be let in. And they say, it can't be Peter. He's been put to death by Rome. It must be his ghost. Think about that. They believe that Peter has been put to death more than they believe their prayers are going to be answered. You know, this whole idea of positive or negative confession is completely blown away in that subject matter because one side would say, oh, well, they were believing, therefore it came to pass. They make the confession with their mouths. mouths, We don't believe this is going to happen. And yet, God performs it. God stands outside of man's will. Man's will needs to be subject to his will. Because then, we don't look like the fools when we're acting in disobedience. Think think of what a proud proclamation it would have been for this family to have in its history. No deception. To not try to outdo God's will. To simply have trusted God through the circumstances. Brothers would not have hated brothers unto the death. Mothers would not have been without their children when they passed away. Fathers wouldn't have been betrayed by wives. Trusting God's plan. How unfortunate. How unfortunate that people take matters such as this into their own hands. Genesis chapter 25 Verse 23, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. It doesn't matter what they do at this point. That's going to happen. It doesn't matter how much a person insists upon the other direction. God is going to perform His will. He's going to see these things accomplished. It's not their lies, their deception, their manipulations that fulfill God's word. Not at all. Isaac has no power within himself. Look at verse 18. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Where are you, my son? Jacob said, Excuse me, I said where. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat my game, that your soul may bless me. Jacob outright lies at that point. You know, who are you? I am Esau, your firstborn. So there's no misinterpretation. He's outright lying. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Jacob, the scoundrel, now involves God in his lie. How, how in the world did you get the game so quickly? God blessed the situation. You wouldn't believe it. People do this all the time. They're faced with the fact that they're about to rebel against God, and then they try to convince themselves and everyone else around them that no, I'm doing this because it's actually God's will. They invoke the authority and power of God into their own sin. That's really 
unfortunate. I'm sure Jacob may have even told himself it was okay to lie because God had said the older would serve the younger, right? He's, he's heard this prophecy from the Lord, so he's thinking, well, I mean, after all, God himself has said this. It must be within God's will. Look at verse 21. Isaac said to Jacob, Come near and I will feel you, my son, whether you really are my son Esau or not. Something's telling him things aren't right. I call my wife and any one of my three daughters answers, and I don't know if I'm talking to my wife or one of my daughters. They all sound very similar. It's usually after I've spoken to them for you know, a few seconds that something about their verbiage and their phrase tells me, oh, this is actually Abigail that I'm talking to, not Lori. You know, there's, there's something in the context. The voice sounds the same. You know, they, they are all so near to one another. Christian and Lori are the most alike. But yet there's a way that Christian uses, you know, phraseology that's a little different than my wife. You know, just being a little older than them gives a different. Something is telling this man, this is not right. Oh, you guys, human observation and the power of the Holy Spirit. When the baloney meter is going off in your heart, you might want to learn to listen to that thing. That something isn't right here. You know, how many times have we faced the something isn't right here opportunity, ignored it, and regretted it later? You know, that, that's probably countless occasions for many of us. Come here, I gotta, okay, I gotta put my hands on you to find out if you're actually my son Esau. You know, maybe, maybe Jacob was just much more polite than Esau. We have no, or vice versa, you know, maybe, maybe you know, the rough hunter was much more cordial in his you know, vocabulary. We have no idea you know, what it was. Something was telling him. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Harry. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. Even under pressure, with repeated opportunities, Jacob continues to sin. Now that's human nature. God is providing the exit over and over and over again, and we continue down the same path, right? No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, and God will not tempt you beyond what you are capable of, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape. The problem is we don't look for the way of escape. We look for the opportunity. 27 verse 25. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. and He brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come come now and kiss me, my son. 
He came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. See, Isaac is still not convinced. So some, i, I got to get my hands on this guy. i got to get him right up in my face. The clothes, the scent of Esau upon the clothes is convincing him. He said, bring it near in his clothing. He smelled his clothing. It's unfortunate that they've taken these steps and their family relationship is going to be destroyed. And he blessed him. And then he said, now, this is the blessing that God actually gave Abraham that has now come to Isaac that Isaac is bestowing upon his son here. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed is everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now I want you to notice in verse 29. This man thinks he is blessing Esau. So consider how powerful the rebellion is right here. When he says, your mother's sons bow down to you. God has declared this will not be the case. And here he is in his rebellion insisting against God that this is going to happen. Again, word of faith movement, Isaac is blind. The statement that he's making is toward his son Esau. It doesn't matter who's in front of him. In his heart and in his mind, he's making this blessing and this proclamation upon Esau. So if word of faith movement is true, if positive confession is true, then this would have carried the weight to Esau. And it does not. It does not. Because God is the one who gives the blessing or keeps it back. Not the man making the confession. Not the man who could say one way or another. It's difficult for me to look at this and understand how strong the rebellion is in this man's heart. Look at verse 30. Now it happened... As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father. It's interesting how these very instantaneous circumstances lend weight to how powerful the moment is. As soon as this had happened, he's leaving. Then Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father. And said to his father, Let my father arise and eat his son's game, that your soul may bless him. You know, my mind, my imagination gets weird. I mean, is Esau in the kitchen cooking up dinner, thinking, 
Why are all these dirty dishes here? You know, don't we have any more of that seasoning? How could we possibly be out? It was just used to prepare a meal before you arrived here. I wonder how this all unfolded. It'll be interesting to attend those classes and find out once we're in the presence of the Lord. Here, he's come in and he's preparing this meal. It happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. Jacob was scarcely gone out of the presence of his father. Esau comes in from hunting. He also made savory food. And he's going to ask his father. He brought it to his father and said to him, Let my father arise and eat his son's game, that my soul, his soul may bless me. The father Isaac said to him, Who are you? Remember, Isaac has poor eyesight. He might have seemed all that strange of a question to Esau. You know, dad's blind. He's asking me who I am. That's no big deal yet. So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Now, when it says at the beginning of verse 33, then Esau, excuse me, then Isaac trembled exceedingly. Isaac is shaking violently at this point because of the realization that his plan has been struck down by God. He's now realizing the arrogance of purposefully going against God's will. Imagine how shocking a moment it would be to be caught and busted by God alone in this way, right? I mean, some of us have been involved in guilty circumstances and whatever authority in our lives suddenly appears there and we're shocked with the fact that, oh my goodness, I'm caught. That's shocking enough. When you're engaged in outright rebellion to God and you realize God just busted you, that is a heavy moment to consider. And that's where this man is at, shaking and trembling. We always lose when we resist God's will. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Many people don't consider God to be living. He's somewhere far away at best. Others imagine Him to just be that. Imagination. Nothing more. When you come face to face with the fact that God is right here. He is alive and well. He's living in my presence. It is a shocking moment to realize that intensity. Verse 32, so he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came. I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Hear that again. I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. This is the passage that is being spoken of when we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. It doesn't have to do with when the deception took place and he blessed him. It has to do with in this moment 
he doesn't retract it. In this moment, he realizes, I'm going against God. Therefore, I will stop going against God, and I will seal what I have said upon Jacob. I have blessed him, and he will be blessed. That's the moment God is referring to in Hebrews. Notice that as soon as Isaac knows he's wrong in wanting to bless Esau, he does not continue in his rebellion against God. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, my father. Keep in mind that Esau wants the material things. He doesn't want the spiritual blessing. He's, he's made that very clear already. Verse 35, he said, Your brother came in with deceit and has taken away your blessing. Not really. It wasn't his blessing to begin It wasn't Esau's blessing to begin with. So he hasn't really taken away anything. Look at Genesis 25, beginning at verse 32, Esau said, look, I'm about to die. And we discussed how that statement was his saying, I'm just going to die anyway, so it's meaningless. He wasn't near death. Death was many, many years ahead of him. His whole attitude was everybody dies, so he, who cares about this spiritual blessing junk that Abraham and our father Isaac are talking about? I'm going to die someday so it doesn't mean a, a, a thing to me. I don't care about the spiritual blessing. I'm about to die, so what is the birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He, that, that's already taken place. The deception in the moment, yeah, it's lying. Yes, it's manipulation. Yes, it's deception. But the birthright's already been given by Esau to Jacob. There's, there's nothing really amiss with this. Follow this a little further. Esau said, is he not rightly named scoundrel? Because that's what the name G Jacob means. Heel catcher, deceiver. For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now, look, he's taken away my blessing. Right? So, in his mind, he was separating the two. So, who was being deceptive there? When he gave up the birthright? Because the birthright and the blessing are one thing. So, when he was saying to Jacob, Oh, sure, I'll sell you the birthright. That whole Jewish thing. Abraham, Isaac, all of the generations that are going to lead to the Messiah, I could care less about that. You want that? I'll give you that. He's trying to uncouple the blessing from the birthright. They don't uncouple from one another. They are one and the same. You can't receive God's blessing without receiving also the birthright. Now he's blaming Jacob for his own failure and giving the birthright away on the first occasion. 2736, he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren 
I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. The scripture actually uses this as a warning for us. Look at what Hebrews chapter 12 says, beginning at verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He would not turn his heart from his sin. He found no place for repentance. Esau saw no place in these circumstances we're currently reading about that he should change his behavior. He's gone after the pagan women of the community. He's lived in sexual sin. He's defiled God's plan for his family. He's rejected his birthright. And now, when it comes to the moment where he wants the material gain, he sees nothing that he has to do. He sees nothing that he has to repent of. He doesn't recognize his sin. And so therefore, God is saying, there's nothing for you. You want the blessing? Your heart is broken over the circumstances of your life and you're crying over the circumstances of your life? Most often, our circumstances are generated by our own sin, which is exactly what's going on with Esau. He's rejected God's plan. 27.39 Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. Many years later, we see Esau is blessed and well off. In Genesis chapter 33, verse 9, it says, Esau said, I have enough, my brother. He's speaking to Jacob by that point. Keep what you have for yourself. God does profoundly bless him eventually. We'll just finish this out as quick as we can. Verse 40, as Isaac continues to say to Esau, By your sword you shall live, you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So this serving his brother isn't even going to last forever. It has more to do with the fact that because of his anger and his hatred and his bitterness towards Jacob, he's going to be bound under that burden. If he was capable of forgiving his brother and letting this go, he wouldn't be so committed to the servitude. Just forgive your brother. Very simple. Very difficult to do sometimes. Verse 41, So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill 
my brother Jacob. As soon as dad dies, I'm going to kill this guy. That's literally what he's saying. Verse 42, the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah that he wanted to kill Jacob. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. That's kind of a scary thought. Your brother currently is sitting gleefully, you know, comforted over the fact that he's going to get to strangle you. That's, I don't know, kind of frightening to think about. That you have a brother who's taking joy in plotting your death. Currently where he's at. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran. And stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. That few days becomes more than 20 years. 20 years. And and isn't that the way we often do it, right? Yes, I'm doing wrong, but surely the outcome will be short-lived. It will just be a little while that we have to endure this. 2745, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? If you follow after the example of Esau, if you take pagan wives, if you behave in a sinful way, such as your older brother, my heart would be broken. So you need to go away. She is very short-sighted in understanding God's will. Think about this, you guys. We've very recently studied how God brought her to be the wife of Isaac. It was remarkable. Miraculous. And it required immediate obedience. Remember that, right? As her brother is saying, just let her stay for a little while with us, ten days perhaps, and there the servant of Abraham says, no, if she's going, then she needs to leave with me now. And she does. We such great fulfillment, such great blessing from the Lord. And now when it comes to living in that faith herself, she seemingly is incapable of it. Really, if we look at the greater picture of everything that's going on here, what we can find in the center of all of this is actually Rebecca, who is the most doubtful and the most rebellious towards God's will, right? She manipulates her son into following her plan as they manipulate the husband as they take from Esau, and the whole thing blows up in the end. Faithlessness. Doubt. Doubt is the enemy of faith, you guys. It it doesn't just destroy faith. It destroys all of the circumstances that faith would produce. Let the Lord speak to your heart from His Word and guide your every step. The moment that we begin to try and govern for ourselves, the whole plan goes awry. There are life-changing consequences on the other end. May His kingdom come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
That's a very sound prayer. That's a very sound way to live. Let the Lord guide your every step. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. So grateful for the communion that we shared in together. Grateful for the examples, painful as they are, in this passage. Lord, help us to be men and women who follow you with our lives. Lord, we do. We get nervous. We get scared. We become faithless. Lord, and then we even begin to say things in our heart and in our mind, like, if only I could see. If only God could prove it to me. And I think of what you said to Thomas about how blessed and faithful were those who had not seen and yet believed. Help us to be men and women who read and trust your word rather than following after our own reasoning. Guide us as your sons and daughters. Fill us with a love for you and for our neighbors. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Uh, please stay in fellowship as long as you like. And also...